In this podcast, we're going off to visit a boardwalk with heaps of spine-tingling primeval beauty and with more complex diversity than you can poke a camera at. G'day, I'm Mike, the Darcy of Daintree. On this visit to Marja Botanical Walk, we're going to experience 400 million years of plant evolution from the very early skeleton, basket and tree ferns through the conifers and cycads and finally to the first primitive and modern flowering plants. And to top it all off, we'll visit tropical orchids, epiphytic and terrestrial vines and simply the most diverse and spectacular mangrove habitat in Australia and perhaps the world. With a little bit of luck, we might meet some of its resident animals, from rare marsupials to fish and frogs, bats and birds, dragons and crabs, or even the famous dinosaur bird, the cassowary. Madja, which means jungle or rainforest from the Gukuyalanji people, is wheelchair-friendly and just 1,100 metres long. We could spend 40 slow minutes strolling around, or two hours, trying to absorb all the diversity on offer. So let's hop into it. It's best to start at the start, and that's in a clockwise direction along postcard-pretty Oliver Creek. We're immediately confronted by big woody liana vines crossing the path just above eye level. They're ground-rooted and at times dominate the vegetation, climbing and twining around host plants up towards the sun, splitting here and there, and falling and climbing again and again. As we can also see, Lianas stretch out from tree to tree, so they can act as aerial bridges or highways for ants, reptiles, possums and even our remarkable marsupial tree kangaroos. Let's pause for a moment alongside the crystal clear waters of Oliver Creek and check out the tangle of exposed tree roots and thick vegetation reaching out towards the sunlight. Now we come to a sign pointing to a hope cycad which can grow to become the tallest of the world's cycads. This one here, about four metres high, may be 400 years old. Elsewhere in the Dane tree, there's a specimen 18 metres high. At a growth rate of one metre every 100 years, it's a real snail pace. There's no rule that says all rainforest plants must grow quickly. There are just three families of ancient cycads surviving in the world today. And here in the Daintree rainforest, we have one representative of each family. Look around nearby, and we'll also see the little Zamia fern, the smallest of the world's cycads. Around the next corner, over there, it's a strange-looking tree, leaning at a seemingly impossible 45-degree angle. It's a local icon with its very own and very new viewing platform. Its open lettuce tree trunk is actually a maze of intertwined fig roots. It all started many years ago when a bird or fruit bat pooped some fig seeds which then sprouted and grew. The descending roots slowly robbed the host tree of its sustenance so the original tree gradually died and rotted away, leaving just the strangler fig. That's how strangler figs get their name. They're the ultimate tree huggers and it puts a whole new meaning to the concept of loving something to death. After a few old trees with gnarled buttress roots, our path now takes us through some low swampy ground. Be careful not to get snared by those nasty looking reverse hook tendrils of the wait a while climbing palms also called 
lawyer vines or rattan vines. Alongside them, we find some bushes with long, spiky, serrated leaves. They're pandanus bushes, and some of the leaves have been freshly chewed, a giveaway to one of our rare and unusual insects. If we look closely, we may find some of the blue-green peppermint stick insects half-hidden inside the leaf barrels. Most of their chewing is at night, and daytime is a time for just lazing around or being locked together in a slow-motion friendship display. Let's stroll further along the boardwalk to the small cluster of umbrella-like fan palms with their giant circular split fronds. Great for capturing and diverting water, and even better for creating shade. You can learn more about the fan palms in our Doobagee Boardwalk podcast. A little further on, where the canopy starts to open up, we'll notice some paperbark trees and nearby some tall, slim black palms. That's the tall palm with foxtail-like greyish fronds and some pink-reddish apricot-sized fruit scattered on the ground directly underneath. The fruit is vaguely edible, but it tastes a bit like student pasta, so don't bother. Cassowaries, on the other hand, don't care about taste, so they just happily swallow the whole thing. The black palm is a favourite plant for the Gukuyalanji people. Women use the fronds for basket weaving and the men use the incredibly tough wood for clapsticks and spearheads. At this point we start to notice the change in the vegetation. It's at first subtle, but then it makes an abrupt transition from lowland rainforest to the world of mangroves. A different echo zone and almost another world, slightly eerie and slightly primeval. Mangroves are defined, by the way, as plants that can survive in salt water and, more importantly, soak in their floating seeds. The mangrove trees are shorter and thinner than the bigger canopy trees. Strange roots emerge from the dark black mud. None of the terrestrial vines can survive in the salty water, so instead epiphytic ferns and orchids become more dominant. Tidal changes in the water level have an absolutely dramatic effect. At last count, there are 69 mangrove species in the entire world and most of them are in our immediate North Queensland, New Guinea region, with 34 in the wet tropics alone. Many of these are alive and well here at Marja. We've come to a little viewing platform at a right-hand turn on the boardwalk. To the left we can see a stand of screw pine or pandanus spiralis with their straight stilt roots growing down from the trunk like a cluster of triangles. At eye level to the right are a couple of low-hanging basket ferns. The basket ferns have two distinctly different types of leaf on the one plant. Very unusual indeed. The short brown leaves form the base and the outer basket, and the longer green fronds grow out of the centre and contain the tiny spores. Imagine what might be living inside those huge baskets. Sometimes. If we peer up into the treetops almost anywhere through Marja, we'll see clusters of up to six basket ferns, each between one and two metres in diameter, clinging to just the one slim tree. And just to mix it up a little, many baskets are also host to a separate fern hanging underneath like green curtains, and they're called ribbon ferns, so it's getting complex. So many different ferns, all growing as epiphytes and using the mangroves as hosts. Being epiphytic, 
means that they get their nutrients not from the host, but from rain, leaves and the poop from birds and fruit bats. Epiphyte on epiphyte and epiphyte under epiphyte. Vigorous, resilient life everywhere. Now we're getting into progressively saltier water and we're approaching mangrove central. Because we're here at low tide today, it's all about the strange roots poking out of the black mud. Chock-a-block full of microorganisms, but anaerobic or with very little oxygen. We'll hang about for a while and we might see fiddler crabs waving a big claw in a mating or territorial display. Different fiddler species actually have different signalling waves. Fiddler crabs can even change colour during the tidal process and also they retreat to their underground holes in high water. Common around here, you might find the square-bodied grapsid crabs, which use their hulls just as food storage and dining rooms, and then they usually climb up the mangrove tree trunks to escape the high water. Two crabs, same habitat, different adaptations. Around here we'll see birds such as wagtails and monarchs flitting around looking for insects, and at times a small temporary colony of fruit bats chatters away. When the high tides arrive about six hours later, there'll be a complete transformation. The dark mangrove mud and peg roots disappear to be replaced by milky blue-green brackish water. Different reflected world starts to appear. Trunks, ferns and arched roots are reflected in duplicate and the lower ferns and bushes become dancing mermaids underwater. It's totally surreal. Some of the bigger marine creatures exploit these higher tides and come in looking for food. They're mainly fish, the odd crocodile, but if we get really lucky, we might also see large mud crabs sliding sideways under the water. It pays to have a long, slow look. A little creek here, running below a low bridge, is usually alive with fish, including the famous angler, the banded archerfish. It's a great spitter. Unhygienic for humans, but effective for hungry archerfish. They cruise around just under the surface, looking for resting insects to hit with a spit jet of water. If their spit is well directed, the insect falls and becomes instant food. Archerfish are quite easy to spot with a silvery colour and distinct dark body bands. We're well among the mangroves now. It's no easy task to pick out each of the mangrove species, but the different root structures give the best clue to their impressive variety. And we can see these best during low tide. Apart from the stilt or prop roots that we've seen on the pandanus, some of the styles include a plank or buttress roots, snorkels or pneumatophores, and peg, knee or elbow roots. The cannonball and looking glass mangroves both have these wavy buttress or plank roots, and as we move into even saltier water, the various rhizophoras with the long drooping stems have prop roots that come down from the branches, gripping and spanning out into big looping curvy arches. Another clue to the different species are the mangrove fruits, that is when you can see them. Some in the rhizophora and bragera families have long pre-germinated stems growing down from their tiny fruit. This makes them all primed and ready to drop, float, sink and take root whenever they get the chance. The smooth leopard-like trunk of the cannonball mangrove stands out among the other mangroves. 
we can easily spot their occasional huge seed pods hanging down from the branches. If you're too young to know what a cannonball looks like, it's about the size of a large grapefruit. When the seed pod matures, it opens up to maybe 18 seeds, and kids love to try to put the monkey puzzle pieces back together. It's nature's rubrics cube, but more difficult. A lot of these mangrove seeds of all types wash up in our ten lovely Daintree beaches, so that's another way to see them as we travel around. At this boardwalk junction, we'll turn left to a pretty view overlooking Noah's Creek. It's a brilliant background for snappers and selfies. Not the croc-type snappers, although you might see one in the creek at times. We're noticing more older, rough-barked trees. Many of these are hosts to arboreal or tree-dwelling orchids and prickly ant plants. Tropical orchids are an absolute delight when they're in flower, and in most species that's from June to September-October. You can see golden orchids with their huge sprays high up among the older trees near the Noah Creek end of the walk. Also dangling white pencil orchids, distinctive pink bottle brush orchids, lily of the valley and cute so-called button orchids and probably a few others if you have an eye for them. The prickly ant plants are an absolutely fascinating example of a four-way symbiosis or mutualism and here's how they get it together. Superficially, the ant plant looks like an orchid, and close up you can see that the outside is covered with prickles. The real action is inside the fibrous inner chambers. A particular ant, called the golden ant, lives inside the chambers and patrols the plant to remove leaf-eating pests. The inevitable ant poo is absorbed as food by the plant. Then along comes an Apollo jewel butterfly to deposit its larvae on the plant and so the ants cleverly extract honeydew, a type of sugar, from the larvae. In return, the ants not only protect the larvae, but carry them into the chambers where they develop into butterflies. Complicated? That's three layers, but that's not the end of it. Mistletoe birds might later eat the fruit from the ant plant and transport the seeds to another host. A four-way mutualism. Talk about ants and your plants. Incredible, but true. At the end of a long, low bridge, the track gains altitude again and there's a thick, woody liana vine coiled around a tree like a very long climbing python. Scary for adults, but kids love it. The track gains a few more metres of altitude, past an orange-foot scrub fowl mound on the left and meanders back to the car park. Along this last section, the canopy closes in again and we'll see plenty of giant gingers, native cardamom, mosses and diverse wood fungi and mushrooms. Some of the large trees in this section are so covered by tree-hugging vines that you simply can't see the trunks at all. How much hugging can a tree bear? Talking about tree bears, visitors sometimes spot the elusive tree kangaroo here at Madja. Not a bear, of course, but a genuine Aussie marsupial tree kangaroo. Back at the car park entrance, we'll check out the native peppercorns climbing up some of the trees. These are modern and happily evolved versions of primitive flowering plants, with around 2,000 species in the worldwide Piper family. It's one of our native wet tropics peppercorns called Piper Cannonum, or the common or dog pepper. And that, pretty well, is the Marja Botanical Walk, the Jungle Walk. 
Mudja is just one of the four cleverly designed free boardwalks managed by the Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service, who are now also supported by the Indigenous Jabalbina Corporation. Each of the walks is quite different, and you really should take the time to enjoy all four. Stay up here a little longer and immerse yourself in the rainforest experience. And if you're thinking of doing a private Darcy of Daintree tour, I can show you around Mudja and some other fascinating parts of the Daintree. So thanks for listening. <laughs>